0: as we love each other, care for each other, pray for each other, protect each other, help each other, encourage each other, hold each other up, have each other's back. As we do that, the world around us says, "Wow, they're Christians. Would you open your Bible up, please, to the Gospel of John chapter 13, John chapter 13, now if I were to wish you a Merry Christmas, would you Merry Christmas me back? Merry Christmas. Uh, We're allowed to do that here. I know there's some Stores where you're not allowed to do that. They tell the employees, oh, you leave that stuff at home. None of that here. But this is the house of the Lord. So if, uh, if ever we can Merry Christmas each other, it's right here. Amen. Well, there's no question that the world today is in a mess. The world is in a mess for Christmas. How about that? The nations of the world are at each other's throats. Here in Canada, we're not so good off ourselves. The cost of living has driven, listen to this, the cost of living has driven millions of employed people to the food banks just to help make ends meet. That's our nation today. Never used to be that way. Usually it was only just the unemployed that needed the food banks. But now even the employed are going. Millions of them. And yet there seems to be little thought to cutting the spending and start saving. There's a funny old saying, maybe you've heard it, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. Have you ever heard that? Well, it's still true today. People broke as they are. They've lined up all night for Black Friday sales. They've maxed out their credit cards for Christmas online shopping. It seems to me, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that a lot or most of these purchases are just a futile attempt to smother the pain of life for a few days, a few weeks, Until January comes and reality takes another bite out of our hearts. Yep, that's a bit of a gloomy backdrop for the pageantry of Christmas, isn't it? Nothing like coming to church to get encouraged. (laughs) But think about it. Can you imagine what life would be like? What would life be like if suddenly all of the nations of the world laid down their weapons and their armaments And took up peaceful relations. What would the world be like? Have you ever thought about that? Because we're in a mess today, aren't we? What would it be like if the nations of the world sought peace and not war? What would it be like if the nations of the world pooled their energies and their technologies to solving problems like hunger, starvation, disease, premature death? What would the world be like? If if that would happen. What would it be like if crime, crime vanished overnight. And no longer did you have to lock your doors of your house. They say that locks are only meant to keep honest people out. Because real thieves, they know how to break through locks. They pick them, they smack them. They get in where they're not supposed to get. That's the world we live in, isn't it? Now, I know what I've just described sort of sounds like a utopia. The Bible says that it will happen one day when Jesus comes back. And may that be soon. Because we're in desperate straits, I think, as a, as a world. Um, but I do have a bit of good news, folks. Folks. In fact, I think we can all probably join in with the angel of Bethlehem who said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Here it is. The truth is, listen to this. There's no reason why Christians everywhere, here in Surrey, across Canada, around the world, there's no reason why Christians everywhere can't have the warm glow of joy and love in their hearts and their homes this Christmas season. We can have it, every one of us. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk with you about a Christmas gift that every born-again child of God can freely receive and freely give one to another. won't cost you a penny. It's not some kind of impractical gift of little value that you put on the shelf. And I'm sure you've gotten given You've been given things over the years, and you said thank you, and you put it on the shelf, and you stare at it for a few years, and then finally you give it away, you know, to the thrift store or something. The thrift store ends up with a lot of gifts that people had at one point. I'm not talking about a gift like that, a gift of little worth. I'm talking about a very important gift. In fact, this gift is very much needed in every home, every heart, and so this Christmas time, we can receive this gift from the Lord himself, and we can freely give this gift one to another. And if ever we need this gift, I think it's now. So before we go any further, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts. Heavenly Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would sanctify these next few minutes, moments that we spend around the word of God today. And Lord, encourage us and teach us a truth that every one of us needs. And it's not a brand new truth. It's an old truth, and many of us already know this. But we need to take it down off the shelf or pull it out of the the box it's been put in. We need to get it up and look at it again. Our Father, bless us together as we, we look at the Christmas gift for everyone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you will remember, if you've read the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, ye must be born again. Famous words, they came from Jesus himself. God in the flesh came down and said, ye must be born again. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? Well, it doesn't mean to be baptized. It doesn't mean to take communion. It doesn't mean to attend a church. It doesn't even mean to read the Bible or pray. What does it mean? To be born again. Being born again means that each of us personally, not as a group, not as a nation, not as a world, but each of us personally has repented of personal sin and asked Jesus Christ to forgive that sin and come into our hearts and lives as Lord and Savior. It's a spiritual transaction, if you will. And all this happens, really, in a moment of time. It doesn't take long. It's very similar. In fact, it's, it's compared to the physical birth. When Jesus was talking to that man, that religious man named Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, he spoke in terms that he should have been able to understand. He must be born again. And then Nicodemus was scratching his head, well, how can a man be born again? You know, Can he go into his mother's womb the second time? And then the Lord went on and explained, no, it's a spiritual birth. But there's similarity. Once upon a time, every single one of us here today, we were in our mummy's tummy, yet to be born. And then came that time, and we were born. One moment we were inside the womb, the next moment we're outside the womb. And it's like that with being born again. One moment, you're lost in sin. You just know about God. Then you're born again and now all of a sudden, you're part of His family. It's like your eyes are open. The light bulb has gone on. The old hymn that says, I once was lost but now i am found, was blind but now I see. And there's a difference, isn't there? Not being able to see and being able to see. Boy, is there a difference. And it's like that being born again. It happens in a moment of time. So being born again, one moment you're lost in sin, the next moment you're saved and part of God's family. How does that happen? It happens, well, when we repent of our sin and trust Christ as Savior. Is it as simple as that? Yes, God made it that simple. So that you don't have to be an Einstein in order to get to heaven. So you don't have to be a a wealthy person to be able to get to heaven. So you don't have to be a popular, Hollywood popular kind of person in order to get to heaven. It's a personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given was when God the Father gave God the Son. So that you and I could become sons and daughters of God what a wonderful thing it is to be part of God's family. We, we sang that a little while ago. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Boy, it sure is wonderful. And one day we will be in heaven with the Lord. When Jesus enters our hearts, we become born again. We become members of God's family. Earlier, the choir sang about, hallelujah, I'm adopted. Now, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, what you're going to think of is human adoption. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a good thing, you know, to have uh, an orphan adopted into a good family. That's a good thing. Uh, But we're not talking human adoption. We're talking spiritual adoption where God adopts us into his family. It's just another way of talking about being born again. And all this happens when Jesus enters into our heart and life. It means that now we are organically connected to the Heavenly Father. Um, if, If you think about it, you are organically connected to your mom and dad. There's an organic connection there. At parents, you're organically connected to your sons and daughters. And that's family. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it is when we get born again. It's just like family. And now, in the family of God, we have this new privilege to fellowship with God. But we also have the responsibility to love and care for one another. And this is what I want to get at today is the love and care that we're supposed to have one for another within the family of God. And Jesus clearly said that we are to love one another. Now, I'd like to tell you a little story to help illustrate this. It's a cute story. It happened out on the farm in the barnyard. One day, a little mouse that was living inside the farmer's house looked out through a little crack and saw uh, Mr. and Mrs. Farmer kind of excited over a new package they had up on the kitchen table. And the mouse thought, food, what, could, what kind of food could this be? Oh, I hope it's meat. I love meat. And to the mouse's horror, it was a mouse trap. Now, it may not mean a lot to you unless you're a mouse. Yeah? And then a mousetrap, well, right away, the mouse thought, I have to warn the others. And so the mouse went out into the farm in the barnyard there, and, and at the top of its squeaky little voice, you know, it, it cried out, Help, help, there's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. Everybody, wake up, there's a mouse trap in the house. Well, it was the chicken who uh, clucked and scratched and raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I can tell this is a grave situation. But it's of no consequence to me. I cannot be bothered with it." And of course that was very disappointing to the mouse. And so the mouse turned from the, the chicken and there was Mr. Pig. And so the mouse said, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. And the pig oinked and, and said, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. The pig sympathized and, and said, I'm so sorry to hear that Mr. Mouse. But there's nothing I can do about it except pray. I'll pray for you. The mouse was very discouraged and, and turned and saw the cow and raised its voice again. There's a mouse trap, there's a mouse trap in the house. And the cow said There's a mouse trap in the house? Why? Mr Mouse, I'm so sorry for you. But it's no skin off my nose. And so the mouse was very unhappy and re- was very dejected and returned back to the house, head down. You know how a little mouse gets all, you've seen it, how a mouse gets all dejected. And it went back in the farmer's house to face the mousetrap alone. Well, that very night a sound was heard throughout the house, the sound of a mouse trap catching its prey. The farmer's wife got out of bed and rushed to see what was caught. And in the darkness, she did not see that it was a venomous snake that had its tail caught in the trap. And the snake bit the farmer's wife. Well, the farmer got up and rushed his wife to the hospital and had to bring her back home, and she had quite a fever. And everyone knows that to treat a fever, you need fresh chicken soup. (laughs) So, the farmer took his hatchet and went out to the farmyard for the chicken soup's main ingredient there. But his wife's sickness continued. And so friends and neighbors came to sit up with her around the clock. And in order to feed these people... The farmer had to butcher the pig. The farmer's wife did not get well. In fact, she died. And many people came for the funeral. And so the farmer slaughtered the cow to provide enough meat for everyone. And so the mouse looked upon all of this from its little crack in the wall with great sadness. And this barnyard dilemma might have been avoided had the animals learned to love and care one for another. And so the next time, I know it's just a story, but the moral of the story is the next time you hear that a fellow Christian is facing a problem and you don't think it concerns you, well remember, when one of us is threatened, we're all at risk. Every Christian is involved in this journey we call life. We need, we must keep an eye out one for another. We need, we must make an extra effort to encourage one another, pray for one another, help one another. This is the Christmas gift I'm talking about. And every one of us needs it. We need to receive it. And we need to give it. You know, this... uh, concept is also illustrated um, in the story behind a favorite hymn in our hymn books. We, we love our hymn books, and there's it's fi- they're filled with wonderful hymns, but just about all those hymns have a very unique and special story behind them. And here's one story, true story, it happened in 1752 to a young guy, his name was John Fawcett. He was in England, living in England. He was 12 years old, and he was an orphan. His mummy and daddy passed away. He became apprenticed to a tailor. He thought this is what he would do with his life, grow up and become a tailor. But just a few years later, at the age of 16, John was listening to the preaching of a great, famous preacher by the name of George Whitfield, And he listened to George Whitfield preach? And he got born again. He knew he needed Jesus Christ. And he received Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And so it wasn't too long after that, that John felt the Lord might be calling him to uh, become a pastor, a preacher. And in 1765, at 25 years of age, a small church in Waynesgate, Yorkshire, England, called John to be their pastor. And it was a small church, but everyone was happy. They had a great thing going for seven years. After seven years, John was invited to become the pastor of a much larger and influential church in London, England, called Carters Lane Church. So John thought this would be a a good step forward. So he accepted the call. He said, yes, I'll I'll become your pastor. And in his little church, he went and he preached his farewell sermon and people sat there and there wasn't a dry eye and their hearts were heavy and many hearts were broken well the day of departure came John his wife and children and they had this big wagon and people were bringing stuff out and loading it on the wagon loading all his belongings on the wagon but his his church people his distraught congregation had gathered at his house. They were so overwhelmed with their broken hearts and tears that they were losing John that they all begged him to stay. It wasn't long John himself began to weep and he soon gave orders to pull everything off the wagon and take it back into the house and John decided to stay. And this experience never left John. The overwhelming love that his people had for him 17 years later, in 1782, John wrote the famous hymn entitled, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. It's in our hymn book. A couple of the verses go like this. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. We share our mutual woes our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. What a wonderful hymn. But it illustrates for us what Jesus was trying to teach us in John 13. That we need to give the gift of love and care to another. Folks, we need this kind of godly love and support for each other. Because you never know Someone near you, beside you, in front of you, behind you. Someone may be going through some testing, some trials, some trouble, some problems. You never know what someone else is going through. And if they can't feel the love of God here in the house of God, what hope is there? And so this is the Christmas gift that every one of us needs this Christmas time. Now, do you have your Bible open at John 13? John 13, look at verse 34. I'd like you to read this out loud with me. John 13 and verse 34. Let's read now together. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now I want you to notice something here. Look at it again. Look at what it does not say. A new option I give unto you. It doesn't say that, does it? Jesus didn't use that word. He used a different word. It's not an option. What is it? Commandment. It's a commandment. It's something that the Lord expects us to do. If you're saved, if you're born again, you're going to get to heaven. And when you do, the Lord Jesus is going to look through your life for what he can reward. If you've been Involved with loving one another, he's going to reward you for that. If you've been a little island unto yourself, you don't talk to people, you don't look at people, you don't go near people, there's nothing there to reward. You're going to be empty-handed in heaven, I'm afraid, but you'll also live a pretty lousy life down here. A little bit of heaven is found in the love of other Christians. We give it, we receive it. We give it, we receive it. If you never give it, you just might never receive it. But this is a commandment. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about Christians that I don't like? Am I supposed to love them too? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because uh, if you have not yet run across some born again man or woman who you really don't care for, you will. You will. It happens. My, my take on this, listen to this. This is how I look at it. The Christian people, and I'm not talking about heathen, wicked, Satan-worshiping people that aren't saved, they're not going to heaven. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about born-again people that irk you, that say things they shouldn't, or do dumb things that hurt you. I kind of think we need them, because that's the test of our love. It's so easy to love people that love you back. Isn't that right? Someone comes up to you and says, oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. I'm so thankful that you're in my life. I'm so thankful that I can be your friend. It's easy to love someone like that. But it's a little harder, isn't it, to love people that kind of rub us the wrong way. But I think we need those people. I think that's the real test of love because Jesus loves them, right? And we're supposed to be like him. And so this is how you can do a little self-analysis, a little self-test. How am I doing in this love department? Well, think about, you know, those Christian people that you don't really care so much for. How's it going with them? That's probably a better way of looking at it. God wants us to live by faith. You love those people by faith, not by feeling, because by feeling you want to change their postal code. Something like maybe uh, halfway around the world, get out of my sight. You love them by faith. You look them in the eye and say, God bless you, by faith. That's how you do it. Not by feeling, but by faith. Now, I got a question for you. This is a great, a great teaching, a great commandment. Wow! Why did Jesus wait to the very end when he was about to be crucified before he gave them this? Why didn't he give them this at the beginning? Doesn't that make more sense? He would say to his disciples, Now, fellas, we're going to have the next three years together. We're going to go places. We're going to do things. You're going to see things and hear things. It's going to be wonderful. But here's the commandment that I have for you, is that you love one another over our next few years together. Doesn't it make more sense? It should have gone at the beginning rather than right here at the end. He's soon to be crucified. Why did he wait till now? That's my question. Well, the context of John chapter 13. Always look at the context, folks. By the way, here's a little little plug for Wednesday night Bible studies. I want to encourage you to come to Wednesday night Bible studies because we have a, a new series called Don't Be Fooled. And we're looking at the, uh, the ways of the, the cults, some of their crazy doctrines, and the way that they'll never get you to read the Bible on your own. They don't want you to read the Bible on your own. They don't want you to get alone with the Word of God and say, God, teach me the truth. They don't want that. Why? Because you'll leave them. The Lord will answer that prayer and will show you the truth and you'll say, hey, that's not what they're teaching me at my cult. And you'll end up leaving them. So they never tell you to read the Bible by yourself. They always push their booklets on you. Or they get you together with their elders. They sit down, have a Bible study. But then they tell you what to believe. No, my friend, you got the book right there. You just need to read it. Read it every day. So we're, we're learning these things on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Why don't you come this Wednesday? The context of John chapter 13 is that Jesus was going away. We read about it. He was going away very soon and they would not have him. Up until this point, it had been Jesus. He was the one who cared for them. He was the one who protected them. And now he was leaving and he was wanting them to pick up where he left off and start caring and protecting themselves just as he had done. Now that raises the question, how did Jesus care for his disciples? Well, I'll tell you what he he wasn't talking about. Jesus wasn't talking about giving free handouts all the time. It's important that we realize that caring for someone and protecting someone doesn't mean giving them everything they ask for. Once in a while, we'll have strangers come to church And they'll tell us that they are a Christian, and they're destitute, down on their luck, out of work, bad things happen, and then they'll ask us for money. This is a common song and dance that a lot of churches experience. And then when we say to them, sorry, then they start to badmouth us. And sometimes they'll even try and tell us that it's our job as a Christian church to give them everything they're asking for. Well, a couple of things you need to know. Number one is these people are usually not born-again Christians at all. They're not saved. In fact, most are professional con artists that go church to church begging for money. If you compare those people with these people in John chapter 13, the disciples, you'll find the disciples were not con artists. The people who will... Our con artists will come and knock on the door of the church during the week and whatever, once in a while on a Sunday. But it's often during the week with this song and dance that we've heard so many times. There's only two or three different songs they sing and we've heard them all numerous times. The disciples were not con artists. They were told to love and care for one another. Number two, the people that come, the con artists, quite often themselves are quite healthy, quite able to make good decisions. They're quite able to hold down good jobs. They don't need to be begging churches for money. They're able to get work. Christ's disciples, they were already hard at work. They were serving the Lord and they were making good decisions for their lives. Something else is oftentimes when you give money to these people who are Coming and begging, I'm not saying always, I'm just saying sometimes that money gets used for drugs, it gets used for alcohol, it gets used for cigarettes, among other things. Whereas these disciples in John 13, they, they had no such bad habits. Only Judas was a thief. You remember that. But look in chapter 13, verse number 30, it says, he, then, having received the sop, SOP, went immediately out, and it was night. Who was that that went out? Judas. Judas was gone before Jesus turned to the other 11 and said, "A new commandment I give unto you. These were saved, born again, people in front of Jesus. Judas was gone. There is no command to look after the Judases. The command was to look after each other. Something else, by the way. Beggars, people who come and beg, they never reciprocate. Never. They're takers. They're not givers. These people who come church to church, whatever, and they're beggars, they never reciprocate. They, they want, gimme, 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 gimme. But they'll never give back love. They'll never give back faithfulness. They'll never give back devotion. And they'll never give back money. So just something to keep in mind. Now this does not mean that there is never a time and place where we financially help people in need. It doesn't mean that at all. Because really there are legitimate needs. And our church over the years has bought groceries for hungry people. Over the years we've provided numerous basic necessities for people. But this teaching right here In verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. This command was given to born-again Christians. And you and I are to love and care and protect other born-again Christians. Jesus cared for his disciples as if they were his children. And maybe that's a good mentality that we should have in mind caring for other born again men and women, as if they're maybe not children, but brothers and sisters. Did you know the Apostle Paul had this very same mentality? Keep your finger there, please, in John three six John chapter thirteen, and turn to the right and go to the book of First Thessalonians. Now, before you get lost, you're gonna see Romans, first and second Corinthians Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st Thessalonians, that's what you want. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He had this very same love and care in his heart for Christian people. In chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians verse number 7. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul had this very same loving, caring, thoughtful, helping approach for other Christians. But, you know, to make sure that we all get the point, to make sure that none of us stand before the Lord and say, well, I didn't know. God gave us several other scriptures. Now, if you go back to John 13 and turn a page to the right, to John 15, I'd like you to look at verse 12 and 13. John 12, John chapter 15, verse 12 and 13. I'd like you to read it out loud for me, please. Let's go on verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now you needn't turn to these scriptures, but I want to read for you Romans chapter 12 verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Romans 13:8 O no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law Ephesians 4:32 And be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, But as touching brotherly love Ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity. That word charity means love in action. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Folks, this world is in a mess. I hope you understand that. But it doesn't mean that Christians are to be in a mess along with it, right? The world is horrible. It doesn't mean Christians are to be horrible. In fact, just the opposite. The world should be able to look at the love we have for each other, and they should know that we're Christians. Now, I'm going to prove that to you. If you're there in John 15, turn back a page to John 13. John 13 and verse 35. John 13 and verse 35. And read it out loud with me together right now, please. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. You see that? As we love each other, care for each other, pray for each other, protect each other, help each other, encourage each other, hold each other up, have each other's back. As we do that, the world around us says, well, they're Christians. It's funny how the unsaved seem to know how the saved are supposed to live. And when they see saved people using foul language or breaking promises or exhibiting crazy attitudes or anger, then they look at us and they say, I thought you were a Christian. It's funny, just funny, isn't it? How the world seems to, to know a little of how we're supposed to behave. And when they see that we love one another, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Love doesn't mean that you go out and buy Christmas gifts for everyone you know. It doesn't mean that. But love does mean that you try to be sensitive to Christians around you. Be observant and see if anyone is struggling and try to offer them a helping hand. Definitely, definitely pray and support them in daily prayer. To just say, well, I'll pray for you, and then to forget it and never do it, well, that's no good. Maybe you should take out a pen or something and write on your hand or make a little note someplace and, and really start praying for them. I met a man back in the spring, and a uh, man doesn't come to our church. Christian man, he loves the Lord. He's got cancer. I told him, brother, I'll pray for you. Every single day when I go to prayer, I add him to my prayer list. I pray for this man that God would touch and heal his body, cleanse and rid his body of cancer. I pray for him. These things I've been talking about could they be things that maybe you used to do? Maybe there was a time you used to be doing these things. You used to be, you know, shedding the sympathetic tear with someone. You used to reach out and shake more hands. You used to smile more at people and ask, how are you? You used to be a little more involved maybe in in helping. Well, whatever happened? The devil's job is to get you to quit. I know that. But how did he do it? Did you just get tired? Maybe did someone reject you? They rejected Jesus, didn't they? Maybe, did you get your eyes off the Lord? What happened? Well, I want to encourage you to come back. It's Christmas. Come back. Give your heart to the Lord afresh. You know, what do you give the guy who's got everything? That's tough, isn't it? What do you give Jesus? He owns everything. You give him your heart. You give him your heart afresh, anew. You say, Lord, I love you. You say, Lord Jesus, maybe I've been not as faithful as I should have been. But I have a Christmas gift for you. My heart, my faithfulness. I want to come back close to you. Like we used to be, Lord. You and me, remember? That was the problem with the Christians at the church of Ephesus. In um, Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus said, boy, you're doing all these great things. But I have one thing against you. You've left your first love and Jesus is always our first love. And so think about it. Was there a time when you were a little closer to the Lord? When you were serving Him? Did the old devil pull the wool over your eyes? Did he trick you? Well, Okay, that's, that's a shame he did that. But what's worse is not to do anything about it. I think we need to Give the Lord Jesus a Christmas gift. You know, Jesus, He only has our hands. He only has our feet. He only has our eyes, our ears, our mouths to do His will, His work on earth. He only has us. Isn't it time, isn't it a good time to give Jesus a Christmas gift? Give Him our heart. Give Him our faithfulness. Give Him our love and our devotion. Give Him our service. Do that. You'll never go wrong. You'll never, ever, ever be sorry you did. And if next week, next year, you're laying on your deathbed, you will never regret having given to Jesus your heart, drawn near to Him. You'll never regret it. And of course, for all eternity, you'll never regret it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.